Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. I'm back from World Pork Expo. It wraps up today at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. So much happening, lots of news. We're going to cover a lot of it here on our program today. Later, we're going to talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about changes they're proposing for beef labeling. Uh, We're going to talk meat exports with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And we're going to talk about soy's efforts and strides in making um, uh, improvements towards sustainability, environmental sustainability. That's a key area right now, and there's a lot going on with soybean growers and the soybean industry. We'll talk with the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Jim Sutter, about that a little bit later on. And, of course, the proposal by the Biden administration now, their plans to change the waters of the U.S. rule. We'll be talking about that as well. Wow, lots going on. But we had a WASDE report yesterday. Officials at USDA raised corn used for ethanol, 75 million bushels, and government officials lowered new crop corn ending stocks from last month's 1.5 billion to 1.35 billion. New crop soybean ending stocks increased 155 million bushels, a 15 million bushel jump over the 140 million bushels estimated a month ago. Old crop uh, ending stocks, well, we're going to be talking about all that here on our program right now with Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence with United Soybean Board. Mac, thanks a lot. I gave some of the numbers. What we, what was the biggest takeaway from the soybean perspective for you in this WASDE report? Well, I, you hit the, the big uh, stuff there in terms of the incremental increase for uh, old crop carryout, which translates into new crop carryout, uh, that, that incremental change of 15 million bushels. Uh, so on old crop going up to 135, that translates that uh, increase up to 155 for the uh, for the new crop balance sheet, and and really, um, you know, those that that increase came in, a, uh, you know, above the average trade expectation. So you know, following the report, you had this uh, you know 19 cent drop in old crop futures, but really it was more of a confirmation, I think, of the overall tightness that we can expect going into the 21-22 marketing year. And uh, you saw um, harvest time futures uh, creep up a little bit in response there. Now we have that new crop, old crop spread at under a dollar. It's been you know a dollar seventy to two dollars for much of the last couple months. So mm-hmm. that's that's narrowed considerably. But um, you know the June report, uh, at least for the soy complex, is uh, a, a little bit of a tepid one uh, overall. Uh, you know, sandwich in between when we get those new crop balance sheets in May, and then when we have the huge data drop at the end of the month with acreage and uh, grain stocks. Uh, so, there, you know, there's not a lot of uh, movement there. We did see some slight reduction in crush, which is where you have that um, that incremental uh, carryout coming from. Uh, not too surprising, I think, given, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, lower crush numbers that have come in from NOPA over the last couple months. We look ahead to the balance of the year. We don't have a lot in terms of, you know, domestic supply availability. So seeing that crush number come down is, is I don't think, too surprising. Where we did actually see updates on the U.S. balance sheets were uh, on the bean oil side. Um, you know, last month we had the biofuels line item added or, or rather reconfigured uh, on the balance sheet here um, showing 
you know, pretty substantial uh, utilization there and increase expected for the new market year, strength of renewable diesel. Uh, so we uh, saw a little bit more distribution uh, change in utilization where domestic soybean oil use was taken up by uh, two, uh, 225 million pounds. Uh, it, that was in the non-biofuel sector, and then exports were taken down. I don't think that's very surprising. Um, we have, uh, you know, our our exports of soybean oil are, are down pretty considerably on the year as more mm-hmm. is being utilized here domestically. And, you know, we don't have a lot in terms of open sales uh, for the balance of the year. So seeing that export figure didn't come, uh, come down wasn't too surprising. Bean oil prices, uh, you know, taken up by four cents for the uh, market year average price uh, for old crop. Um, you know, really, you know, more of the exciting stuff was <laughs> was happening on the corn side, uh, as you alluded to, right. in terms of the uh, taken up on ethanol as well as exports um so uh yeah just kind of balancing a couple things here and then uh you know turning to the international balance sheets the brazilian crop was taken up by a million metric tons you know yields look pretty good down there argentina was maintained at 47 million metric tons you know we've had most of the uh the reductions already taken out of that crop so you know really um more of a status quo on the international side Okay. Mac, thanks a lot. We'll look ahead to that June 30th report, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board, looking at yesterday's WASDE report. All right. Here's a, a proposal I guess we were kind of expecting in some ways from the Biden administration, but yet uh, many in agriculture are very concerned as the Biden administration has announced its plans to revise the definition of waters of the U.S. under the Clean Water Act. And joining us now to talk about it is Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, your reaction? Well, uh, an unwelcome surprise and kind of um, Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah, we thought, I think, kind of expected it early on. Then there had been comments from Michael Regan maybe indicating they wouldn't make the change. Do we know exactly how much of a change they plan to make? You know, that's a, that is a really good question. And what they have announced has led to more confusion than clarity. Uh, they, 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 early on, during his confirmation hearings, gave, it, gave every indication that he was going to do significant stakeholder outreach before they did anything. And now all of a sudden, uh, they've announced that they're going to do something. They're sending mixed signals as to whether or not they're just going to revise or whether, you know, and he's telling people on the Hill that they're going to repeal uh, the navigable waters protection rule in whole and start over from whole cloth. That's very concerning to us. Um, you know, anytime you take a step back from clarity, it's going to add confusion and create problems for farmers and ranchers. Yeah, there, the wording is concerning, I think. Uh, when they say that the navigable waters protection rule is causing significant environmental degradation. So that, that kind of sounds like they really plan on making a significant change. So, Mike, that is very troubling. We have tried to look into the details of the analysis they did in order to make that statement, and they have not been transparent. They have not released anything so that we can take a look at any of that data. As a matter of fact, we were on phone calls with the administration yesterday, and they were you know they weren't walking back from those numbers, but they were definitely not interested in showing us the information they had. 
Uh, they did tell us that this was not actual degradation. It was potential degradation because all they were looking at was 333 jurisdictional determinations, not projects, not not plans that have been implemented. They've only looked at 333 projects, and all of them relate to features known as ephemeral. Wow. And, and to me, it's very troubling. But think about this. 333 out of over 60,000 determinations wow. that the Corps make every year. That's It's not even 1%. We're going to be talking a lot more about this in the days ahead. Don, thanks for the quick update and reaction. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture, your thoughts on the impact of the recent court ruling striking down faster line speeds in, packing, in some packing plants, uh, Pork Producers Council coming out saying that could really hurt smaller producers. What are your thoughts on the impact of that decision? I think it's going to hurt kind of anybody. Um, uh, smaller producers might take the brunt of it. They usually take the brunt of any kind of disruption. Um, you know, number one is my thought is I'm horribly disappointed in USDA uh, that they wouldn't go and fight for something that's been proven to be okay and proven to be effective. As far as its impact, yes, uh, you know, it's going to slow these six plants down. It's going to take 2.7 to 3% of our slaughter capacity away, and that's not a big deal right at the moment. But it is going to put us in a bind come the fourth quarter. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is seeking a change in labeling for beef products, a petition that NCBA filed with USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service this week suggested changing the label to perhaps processed in the USA or eliminating the uh, term that's used now, product of the USA. Let's talk now with Gene Copenhaver, a beef producer from Virginia and part of the member-led working group for NCBA on this issue. Gene, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us about what went into this decision to seek a change in the uh, in the name on the label. Hey, thanks, Mike, for having me uh, on your show today. And uh, this process all started back in 2019 uh, with our grassroots uh, 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 program at, at NCBA, where uh, the Oregon Cattlemen Association brought to our attention that might be a potential problem with the product USA of uh, imported beef being slapped with that uh, that label and uh, the only only fsis uh, permitted the use of that that broad product usa label on the on any beef just so it was processed in a federal inspected facility so uh, we were brought that was brought to our attention and uh, we formed a working group in 2019 i led that working group uh, the working group uh, uh, consisted of a very diverse uh, uh, set of cattlemen throughout the country, uh, geographically and sector-wise. And uh, the first thing we, we had to uh, uh, figure out in, in that working group is, is, is that a problem? Is that really happening? And in, in our research, that was happening. And, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, what is right, what is wrong, and that was, that was wrong. For that to, to be used on imported meat coming into this country, that product of USA. So that's that's where we started, and uh, we went through the process, and uh, we developed a policy to uh, to ask the the uh, FSIS and USDA to uh, petition them to change that or get rid of that product USA uh, because it was it was being used uh, where it shouldn't be used. So it, to me, it was it was a, a right from wrong uh, decision to do that. So really, it's acknowledgement that product of the USA is not the best label. It's not the best wording. It's not the most accurate. But the trick here has been that the challenge has been then, Gene, to find something that does better uh, define the product, but yet does not violate. Uh, trade rules, right? Because that's where mandatory country of or mandatory country of origin labeling got in trouble before the WTO ruled against it. We wound up dealing with tariffs against U.S. products. Yes, but you, we're talking about two really two different things. You know, mandatory cool did get us in, in, in uh, uh, had a problem with with our trade partners Canada and Mexico, but this this was this was uh, you know using the this label on on not U.S. beef, you know, not even verified. Nothing was verified, and uh, 
you know, NCBA and, and, and me as a, as a member support uh, verified programs as far as uh, for, for labeling, but this, this was not even, uh, uh, couldn't, you couldn't even verify that the, that the product was, a, that the beef was a product of USA, and, and, and they had the latitude to, to use this claim on uh, on anything processed in a federal inspected facility, and we found out. Uh, you know, I seen a label actually yesterday where the beef had come from Uruguay, and it said in small print it had, but in a big print it says uh, product of USA. So that that was hurt hurting our beef beef cattle farmer uh, all the way up for every sector. So uh, we have such a good product, we we need to protect that product from from uh, other products that come into the country. We're talking with Virginia beef producer Gene Copenhaver about the labeling issue. So Gene, uh, your your petition to FSIS suggests changing the label to something like processed in the USA. So would you be open to something else uh, find, if someone can find an even more, uh, a better term or more accurate label? I, I think I would be open to whatever uh, just so it doesn't say product of USA, it insinuates that it is born and bred here. And it's, that wasn't that uh, it was too broad a label uh, for for FSS for SSIS to use. You know, I'm I'm for volunteer labels, and I think NCBA is to uh, more of the uh, PVP or third party uh, uh, certification mechanisms that that you can use for to uh, verify labels. I mean, we're since we went through COVID, I think there's going to be more regionally branded products and uh, and uh, more locally branded products that we can use and use those third-party verifications or the or the process uh, verified programs through AMS. So uh, you know, uh, I, I'm open to a, a better a better phrase than uh, than uh, product of the USA. FSIS has acknowledged that existing language on the labels may be causing confusion in the marketplace, particularly with respect to certain imported meat products, and they said they would begin rulemaking to define the conditions under which the labeling of meat products would be permitted to bear voluntary origin claims. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of government speak there, kind of a long answer to saying that the they're at least open to maybe starting the process, but we don't know how long that process could take. No, we don't. No, we can. We got uh, put the petition in. I think uh, there's a uh, uh, time to. Uh, um, I don't remember. I think 60 days that they they start for uh, asking for comments. Then after that, uh, you know, I think it's up to FSIS and USDA. So this has been, as you said, this has been a long process uh, uh, seeking some kind of a solution to address this. Um, what do you say to those who continue to call for mandatory country of origin labeling? Um, you know, I, I'm all for labeling, but I'm for voluntary labeling. I, I don't think we need a national uh, uh, marketing for our beef, I think you know the the labels we have that are volunteer that can be that can be verified uh, through third party or through AMS. I think are great, uh, but uh, a mandatory you know uh, 
the number one thing. We had a, a billion dollar claim from Canada and Mexico with tariffs, and they can bring that back at any time. So, uh, I, you know, NCBA's policy is against uh, MCO, and it's it's my my feeling same same way as a cattleman and, and as a member of NCBA. Gene, thank you for being with us and giving us uh, the perspective on what's what was behind uh, this uh, request by NCBA to uh, FSIS on labeling, and we'll see where it goes. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike, for having me. All right, take care. Gene Copenhaver, beef producer from Virginia, as uh, the debate over labeling of meat products is in this case in particular beef products continues all right we'll be watching following that story closely we talked earlier about uh, the the announcement by the biden administration wanting to change the waters of the u.s rule the one we just got in place uh, from the biden uh, from the trump administration agriculture very concerned about that as you heard earlier from don Parrish with the american farm bureau federation we still don't know exactly the wording that they'll be pushing for and pushing a new rule we saw that it took four years all four years of the trump administration to change the obama rule so now we'll see how long this will take and what will be in it. And again, expect uh, some opposition, perhaps significant opposition from the uh, ag community, if, depending on the wording of the proposed new rule by the Biden administration. Still waiting for that exact wording. And meanwhile, we're also seeing this, that the Biden administration getting pressure from labor unions and some U.S. senators considering ways now the administration considering ways it's reported to provide relief to u.s oil refiners from the rfs so this is going to be another huge issue that we're going to be watching this is at a time when the uh, courts have ruled that uh, that epa had not been administering these uh, biofuels waivers these rfs waivers correctly and uh, the ruling went in favor of the biofuels industry but now that's still hung up in court waiting for a ruling from the supreme court and now we're seeing that the Biden administration may be looking for ways to grant relief to the oil industry there's going to be a lot of debate on this one as well a lot of reactions so some huge stories all breaking here right here at once we'll be uh, following them right here on AOA. One of the people I talked with this week at World Pork Expo in Des Moines was the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. We talked about the latest meat export numbers and some of the issues impacting our meat exports around the world. That conversation coming up next. Stay with us. It's a busy AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Learn more. 
more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Yesterday's USDA report was the first to show smaller soybean usage than the prior month, signaling that high prices have slowed demand. U.S. corn 2020-2021 ending stocks were down 150 million bushels, the biggest adjustment of the report. The USDA increased 2020-2021 ethanol use and exports 75 million bushels each. On the Board of Trade July corn, 19 and a half cent lower at 6.79 and a fraction. The September contract down 18 and a half cent at 6.20 even. For soybeans, the August contract down 24 at 14.86 and three quarters. The November contract down 24 and a half cent at 14.35. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down six and a half cent at 6.76 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat July down nine and a fraction at 6.31. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 18 and three quarters at 7.56 and three quarters. The September contract down 18 and a half at 763 and a fraction. The attention of traders has shifted towards the projections for the WASDI report on Thursday for beef as well. USDA raised their estimate for beef production this year by 5 million pounds to a total of 27.975 billion pounds this year and left production unchanged for 2022 at 27.405 billion pounds. For live cattle on the Board of Trade, the June contract up 12 cents at 117.70, August up 57 at 119.12. Feeder cattle, August up $1.10 at 149.50, the September contract $1.05 higher at 151.95. Lean hogs, the July contract trading $1.52 lower at 119.90, the August contract down 215 at 116.55. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 9 points, the NASDAQ composite up 26, the S&P 500 up one, the U.S. dollar index is trending higher. This is AOA. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Earlier this week at World Pork Expo, I had a chance to talk with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Dan, good to see you again as we get caught up on the, the latest numbers. How do they look as far as our meat exports? Well, we continue, Mike, we continue to see uh, the same momentum we saw in March. Uh, we have uh, near record numbers for both beef and pork. Um, 
on the uh, pork side, we, we came in uh, at about 269,000 tons, which is up a couple percent from a year ago. And, uh, and, and you know, the real thing on pork that stands out is that, uh, as we expected, China's down. Uh, still big, but down uh, 25% or so. And uh, But we're seeing broad-based growth across a lot of other areas. And I'll tell you the area that's really on fire is Latin America. Mexico, Central America, South America. Uh, we are definitely in the, in the rebound phase. Uh, I wouldn't say we're quite back to normal, but it's getting close. And the other area that continues to rock and roll on pork is the Philippines. Of course, they're still battling with the African swine fever over there. So... There have been reports out that China may start buying more pork. What are you hearing? Yeah, it's that's the hundred dollar question. Uh, like I said, the uh, the numbers are still solid, but down from of course a year ago was a record that was off the charts. So we're firmly the second largest year going right now ever. Um, I think it'll probably continue. Our forecast for the year is still down about ten percent which would make it the second largest year on record. But, you know, with our production levels the way they are, uh, it's key that we continue to diversify other markets. And, uh, uh, you know, Central America, South America um, continue to be regions that are seeing incremental growth as well. Do you expect as we get further and further out of uh, COVID that uh, we'll see this rebound continuing as far as our meat sales? I think so. Um, I think the um, we're still hamstrung on, on several fronts. Uh, number one is we're still having COVID-19 impacts, especially in Asia right now. Japan, Korea, Philippines, um, Vietnam, uh, food services, anything but normal there. And uh, they've kind of been in and out, but in Japan and Korea, it's the fourth different wave in the last year and a half. So as that normalizes, and it will, we're starting to slowly see vaccines roll out in the Asian countries. They're significantly behind the U.S. But as they do roll out, it'll normalize, and, and I think we will see a food service bump hopefully later this summer. Tariffs are still an issue in some markets, right? They are. We still have tariffs going into China, for example. So uh, uh, without a doubt, there, there are issues uh, like that. But I think the bigger issues are the COVID impacts. And we're still dealing with the supply chain disruptions at our own ports. We still have significant volumes of frozen cargo, beef and pork, that are being rolled week to week. So while that situation may be improving slightly, there's a long way to go. That West, Court, West Coast situation, that's really a big backlog at those ports, right? Well, it, West Coast, but it's also kind of a, as the West Coast became jammed, it would, uh, shippers would diversify to others. So the Gulf Coast, uh, Houston's seeing it, New Orleans is seeing it, even the East Coast to some extent. So it's really all major uh, coastal ports. But like I said, there's signs that it's getting better, uh, but there's still work to be done there. So there's a, we talk about this in grain. There's a difference between an announced sale and actual shipping of a product, right? Yeah, uh, the two diff- entirely different things. And not only shipping, but it's usually a lot of times it's delivery, and then that's when you get paid. So no sale complete until you actually get paid. So this product that's sitting on the West Coast or wherever is just in limbo. It's not paid for for the most part. And like we're seeing in a lot of businesses like restaurants and other things, we're seeing it on these at these ports, getting people to work to unload the cargo right that that's the challenge that is a challenge um 
But, you know, the, the part of the reason that that was such a challenge three, four, five months ago was uh, concern about COVID and lack of vaccines. There, that's where the progress has been made. There's been a lot of the dock workers that have been vaccinated already. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is that once you're backlogged, it takes a significant time to get it right and get caught up. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, some news out of Canada concerning their BSE situation. Uh, bring us up to date what what that situation is and how it impacts the U.S. Yeah, Canada uh, for quite a few years now has been one risk category higher than the U.S. because of their most recent case. Uh, I believe it was in 14 or 15. And uh, what they've now done is they've qualified to be uh, uh, the minimal risk, similar, same as the U.S., uh, which is good news, uh, not only from a trade standpoint with Canada, but we actually have some barriers on beef going to places like Korea, where Canadian cattle were slaughtered in the U.S. It would create a problem on shipping under our current agreement. So we're hopeful that this normalizes that and we can uh, eliminate one of the restrictions uh, with Korea, for example, in this case. We've seen such an advantage in trade with countries where we have a trade agreement. Um, that brings up the new TPP that's out there now and seems like more countries are joining all the time. We're not yet. How important would that be? How significant would that be? And, and as you look back, has it cost us to not be in TPP? Well, um, I think um, if you look at the biggest benefactor within that agreement would be Japan. And the fact that we were able to implement a Japan-U.S. ag agreement uh, January of 2020, uh, it, that would have been the biggest impact. And, and we're basically, for the most part, equivalent. So that's the good news. The bad news is there's a lot of other countries involved. Uh, Vietnam is one of them. And um, we are definitely at a disadvantage there. So getting back into TPP or the CPTPP, as it's called now, in our minds would be a, a huge boost for uh, the future on exports to some of these other countries. So we're hopeful that... Um, not only is that agreement would be considered and put onto the agenda with USTR, but that uh, some of the existing ones that were started under the Trump administration, mainly the Kenya-U.S. free trade agreement and also the U.K., uh, we're, we're, we're very much that's on our radar. And, and we're hopeful that that gets some attention soon. Of course, as you know, we're still waiting for some key staff to be appointed at USTR, primarily Greg Dowd's old position of chief ag ambassador. You mentioned Kenya. We've not heard much about that since the election. Uh, what is that market potential for Kenya? Well, Kenya in and of itself is is probably, uh, you know, not probably not all that much but the key to kenya would it would serve as a boilerplate for the rest of africa and the total potential in the continent of africa is immense um we are just scraping the very surface today with beef variety meats for example on some pork variety meats um but the real advantage or the real opportunity is long term because uh, there is every indication that the continent of africa has uh, is just waiting to explode with growth and uh, youngest demographic in the world over a billion people within 15 years, it'll be two billion. That younger demographic gets five or six, seven years older when they're their prime spending power. That's when a demand will kick off. And we're seeing signs of it today. We talk a lot about the disadvantages we face if we, if we have tariffs to pay to get into a market. Are there any markets where 
if we're on a level playing field that we still have trouble competing or or if we get the level playing field we usually can like, win those yeah i mean prices go up and prices go down you know you know how it works right. mike and uh I would say that in general, if you're on a level playing field, we'll compete, and, w- and more times than not, we will win because we are, we have the grain, we have the resources. Uh, a lot of, a, of the destination countries, they, not only do they can they not compete domestically, they they readily admit they need to import Japan, Korea. Um, you, you get some uh, Mexico. Uh, you get some very key countries that are very friendly to imports because they know they need them. So, yes, getting on a level playing field is all we're really asking. Um, if we can get a, a deal that's more favorable, great. But level playing field, we will compete, and for the most part, uh, we're, we're very capable as an industry to win. How closely do you watch, and how much does it impact our meat exports, what happens in our packing industry in this country? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's all about efficiencies and the freedom to operate and uh, and the use of technology, and uh, and that's our that's our livelihood, right? That's that's our our motto, so to speak. Well, there's other countries around the world where they don't follow that, and, and mainly I'm looking at the European Union, where you have a protectionist and you know non or anti-technology type of approach. And, uh, you know, people are free to do what they want, but when they start uh, touting it around the world as, as the methodology to follow, we're very much aware of that. Our, our sister organizations, you know, Pork Board and, and uh, Beef Board and, 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 you know, North American Meat Institute, we're very aware of that. And uh, we just need, we, the U.S., just needs to do a better job of telling our story, the safety around our story, the sustainability around our story, and if we do that, we're going to compete against anybody. So that court ruling, this is a big issue here at World Pork Expo, the court ruling slowing down line speeds, that has a great impact not only on the producer, but also just in general, our ability to provide a product to send to other countries. Yeah, I mean, I think the study done by Iowa State indicated that, uh, that will result in a, at least a 2.5% decrease in production capability. So you can do the math on what that means to fix costs and all the way down the line. And the, the reality is that uh, the, the argument against that, you know, seems like it's a little contradictory, right? And, uh, you know, I, I would argue that our plants uh, with with this increased line speed are some of the safest uh, and, and safest and, and also the, the food safety safest. Worker safety, food safety for the, for the product is the best in the world. So... Uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can overcome that obstacle. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a, a real key uh, impact if it does, in fact, stay in place. That's Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I talked with him earlier this week at World Pork Expo. Up next, we'll talk with the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. 
For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, despite strong commodity prices, we see this significant decline in the barometer. What's behind these numbers? I was a little surprised that the drop was as bigger, as big as it was, but certainly there were several questions where we saw a drop in sediment. There's a couple things I think that were going on behind the scenes that are important to understand this drop. One of those is the last couple of months there's been a large divergence in the sediment for crop producers and livestock producers. And a full third of the survey uh, is of livestock producers and particularly uh, cow-calf producers, but the beef industry in general. And certainly the sediment is much lower for the livestock producers compared to the crop producers. And so I think that contributed to the drop in the index. But even though we don't ask the question directly, I think there's also some um, worries, at least, regarding inflation. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. 
Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Certainly a lot of focus on environmental issues, climate goals. Recently, World Environment Day was observed, and I want to talk about that and how the U.S. soy industry is working to meet these goals. We're talking now with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, good to talk with you again. Tell us about the U.S. soy efforts in this area to to not only meet but exceed uh, the goals that are out there to continually improve in this area. Great to be with you, Mike, and thanks for bringing up this very important topic. You know, it is something that is getting a lot of attention around the whole globe, certainly in the U.S., but but worldwide. People are interested in sustainability and, and all the things that go with that. So first and foremost, I guess I'd like to say thanks to all the U.S. soybean farmers for doing such a great job in terms of the way that they produce the crop because they do give us good things to talk about as we interact with people around the world. The, uh, the, 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 the sustainability, you know, when you really think about sustainability, and we talk, we, we talk about the three pillars or the three legs of the sustainability stool. You have the environmental sustainability, you have the social aspect of the sustainability, and then, of course, you have economic sustainability. And I, I look at the latter, and, you know, I see our farmers and how they have been multi-generation farms. Most of the 97% of U.S. farms that are family farms are multi-generational. And if they're, you know, they have lots of things that they do in a sustainable way, but economic sustainability is, is uh, top of mind for those people. But then the other things, we, we've developed many tools that help us to be able to demonstrate the sustainable production practices that are used here in the U.S. to international buyers. We have something called the U.S. Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol, and that's, uh, we, we, we call it the SSAP for short. That's a long name. But it's a tool that allows uh, exporters to be able to um, provide to buyers around the world that gives them assurance of the sustainability of the, the sustainable practices that were used in order to produce this soy that's, that's, uh, that's uh, shipped overseas. About 40% of the exports that go out of the U.S. utilize that verification tool, uh, and it varies by country where it goes. 80% of the shipments to Europe carry with it a verification. 90% of the shipments to Japan and Korea 
uh, but 40% in total worldwide. So I'll, I'll stop there, but I, I, I think we've got a great message, and thanks to farmers, we're able to communicate this. Yeah, at a time when questions are being asked about agriculture's role in meeting these climate goals, I look at these numbers. Uh, by the year 2025, not very far off, U.S. soybean farmers on track to reduce land use impact by 10%, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 10%, reduce soil erosion by 25%, increase energy use efficiency by 10%. Those are significant uh, accomplishments. They are significant accomplishments, Mike, and it really, uh, you know, it's something that I, I think uh, farmers here in the U.S., they take this very seriously, and, and uh, it's, it's something that's good for their own operations, so it's not, uh, you know, it's the, they're not doing it only for the customers that they're serving, they're doing it also to protect their farm and keep their soil in great condition so they can pass it on to the next generation. But it is something that's of great importance to consumers around the world. And we're hearing more and more, and I think all the survey work that, that gets done, it tells us that especially the younger generations, the millennials, the Gen Zers, they have more interest in where their food is coming from, how it's being produced, and with all of the discussion these days about you know global warming, uh, the impact of carbon, all of those things are top of mind for consumers. So it really puts us in a good spot to be able to communicate the advantages that the U.S. has in this area. And those numbers I gave, us again, those are goals to reach by 2025, so they will be great accomplishments. The accomplishments that have already been reached are significant. In the past three decades, U.S. soy farmers have decreased soil erosion by 66%, cut emissions by 41%, and increased land use efficiency by 35%, while at the same time increasing production by 96%. Now that's significant. Yes, yes, it certainly is. It's been a, uh, it's it's been a. As I said, you know, our farmers have done a very good job in terms of being able to move us in this direction, and these kind of accomplishments allow us to uh, develop statistics that are even. Uh, that are of more uh, that are of real interest to consumers around the world. We've worked with a consulting firm, uh, Blanc Consultants, in Europe, and we have done uh, work on the carbon footprint that is actually developed, or, or the carbon footprint that occurs when you produce chicken. And we've looked at producing chicken in the European Union, in the country of Holland, actually, is where this example is from. And we've looked at using soy from U.S. soybeans versus soy from many other origins and, and Holland is a great place because they have uh, you know great place that uses lots of different type of origin so we compared using only US versus using multiple origins as they do today and the carbon footprint of that poultry production would be 46 percent less if they used only US soy uh, and and that is the kind of information that we are trying to communicate to people because they're you know what one of our concerns is there's this desire or this discussion in places like Europe that maybe they shouldn't use soy as an ingredient in their feeds because of the negative environmental impact. And people are picturing rainforests burning, uh, not in the United States, but in other countries, and then they think that's what they think of when they think of soy. So we're trying to make sure that we are communicating that all soy is not created equal, that U.S. soy is different. And these kind of statistics about, you know, the carbon footprint being so much less and, uh, and that kind of uh, data is really important as we, do that, uh, as we do that communication and marketing work. 
and that's why it's so important to get that message out and again agriculture and in this case the soy industry has a good story to tell jim thanks for helping us get that word out appreciate it mike thanks for the opportunity to communicate have a great day take care jim sutter ceo of the u.s soybean export council Wow, so much going on. Busy, busy time. And coming up on Monday, we'll be talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and get his reaction to uh, some of these things going on, like the Biden administration's proposal on changing the WOTUS rule, his thoughts on cattle markets and biofuels, so many things going on. We'll be talking with Senator Grassley coming up on Monday. Hope you'll join us. Have a safe weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.